0: Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Mercleer. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, We will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So, whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So, are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hey, it's Carly, and welcome back to Therapy in Theology. We are diving into part two of the series, The Stories of Our Bodies. And if you didn't catch last week's episode, I would encourage you to go back when you have time to understand the framework that I'm working from with this vision of embodiment from a theological perspective that will act as our foundation throughout this series. So today we're going to continue this narrative approach by understanding our relationship with our bodies in the context of shatteredness that we all experience in one form or another. Now, last week in identifying this vision for embodied theology, we also now have to explain and explore the impact of the fall and brokenness, or as Dr. Dan Allender puts it, the shattering of shalom, the shattering of our peace, right? I think it's so true to say that regardless of beliefs or theological orientations, We all come to this unifying experience of brokenness in one form or another, emotionally, physically, relationally, spiritually. We know that something's wrong, right? If we're looking at this beautiful vision of how God designed the world, and then we're stuck with the reality of what is, it can be devastating. And I think there's a lot of language that needs to be brought here. And although I'm not going to dive into a theology on pain and suffering and sin as much as I would love to. I want to really focus our time and attention on the stories individually that we have of the form of trauma we call shame. And from the account in Genesis 3, we're going to explore the implications of how it shapes our own stories of disembodiment. Renee Brown, author and researcher, says this about shame. She says, shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love belonging, and connection. So this is where we start to explore shame's story. One of the ways I have found helpful in understanding the concept of shame found in the Genesis account and layered throughout the rest of our stories is through the lens of a trauma perspective. By definition, trauma is not the actual event itself, but the imprint that such events leave on our body, which overwhelms the nervous system, altering the way we process and recall memories. You know, when brokenness in this form occurs, it's wake distorts and disconnects our bodies and minds, protectively attempting to manage the fallout of such experiences via our central nervous system. Such experiences in short or in long-term situations perpetuates the body's defense response to triggers, even memories of these events, and they create movements in the body either towards which often is seen in violence, or a way which is often seen in isolation. Often, I tell my clients that trauma responses that occur out of our body's imprint of mental maps are copied from the past and pasted on the present. So oftentimes, our experiences or responses are coming from a place of woundedness. This can help us a lot from a therapeutic perspective. We learn a lot about the various ways trauma impacts our bodies. In our relationship with self, God and others, the result of disconnection has left us all searching, right, for a way to reconnect, to repair, and to return to a state of safety while attempting to forget the reality of what has harmed us altogether. Within our stories of shatteredness, experiences of pain, vulnerability, shame, guilt, abuse, betrayal, neglect, all elements of trauma are stored as sensory informations in our body. This is why it's said that all trauma is nonverbal, which means its imprint is often difficult to put into coherent sequence, but rather experienced within our bodies. Bessel van der says it this way, the trauma that started back then, whenever that was, is played out on the battlefield of our own bodies, usually without a conscious connection between what happened back then and what's happening right now inside. His perspective on this reality of shatteredness is that the challenge is not to just learn to accept the terrible things that happened to us, but learn how to gain mastery over our internal sensations and emotions. Sensing, naming, and identifying what is going on inside is the first step to recovery. And this is why I believe that awareness of our shatteredness is so vital to healing because we cannot heal what we do not know has been put out of place and what is impacting us in the areas of our lives and our bodies. So this invitation to name the stories of shame that have lived within us is not to, as Bessel van der Cook notes, just accept reality, but to reclaim the wholeness we were made for. If it is true that brokenness lives in our bodies in different ways and in different forms, then understanding how it plays out in our experiences of shame, fear, depression, anger, addictions, loss, anxiety can be powerfully healing to our bodies. Something that I think is really helpful when we're thinking about a theology of brokenness from a broader theological term than just sin, because I think we can be very narrow-minded when it comes to sin, is that we have to hold with this idea of separation. And just like trauma, sin, brokenness, the, the state of our world has been separated from what was good and perfect. And so when we see it this way, we can recognize that it's in coming back to what is good, we reconnect, right? Coming back to our bodies and attuning can help us understand what's going on and the effects of shame and trauma that have been in the body for so long. So I want to go back to where brokenness began in the story of Eden to better track the lineage of this disconnection. In Genesis 3, we find the serpent. He moves towards Eve with these words, did God really say you must not eat of the tree in the garden? And this is where disconnection began. And it goes on to say that Eve said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And then the serpent responds with this, you will certainly not die, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And this account of the fall is always such a powerful picture of how shatteredness distorts and disconnects us from who we really are. I focus so much on verse 3 because when Satan says, you will be like God, what I find so interesting about this statement is that Eve was already like God. Remember last week when we talked about being made in the image of God, The God had spoke these same exact words in chapter 2, may we make man in our own likeness, yet deception and distortion and desire to be her own God quickly destroyed man's sense of God's reflection. Now, acting apart from their own God-given nature, Adam and Eve were separated from God's likeness. It says that the eyes of both were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made a covering for themselves. And then in verse 8, it says that they heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This was the first experience of shame which has carried into all human bodies since the fall. The foundation of our fractured nature is built on the false perception of what is good and who God is. The body continues to play out these false narratives in many ways, doesn't it? I think of my own story and how we can so often turn to other things for goodness and quickly forget who we are in relation to God. We turn to numbing or hustling or hiding. We fill our calendars, we consume media, food, substances, all in an attempt to construct false sense of security and safety. Yeah, unattended brokenness infects every part of our lives emotionally, physically, relationally, and spiritually. shame's story shapes us. Much like Adam and Eve's experience of distortion of who they were and who God was impacts everything and their relationship with each other and with God. And it moves them towards hiding. I see this come out in my own story, right? I see in large and small scenes how the shatteredness of my sense of childhood, safety, sexuality, and self-esteem embedded beliefs and thoughts were hidden and not to be spoken of. I have seen how it has so easily been disguised as just part of my personality or the parts of me that struggle to stand up and say what I know I need. But this is exactly what shame is meant to do. It's to keep us silent and separate, right? If we are acknowledging that sin is what separates us from God, then shame is what separates us from God, isn't it? It's the thing that hides us away instead of moving towards our divine nature and back into God's goodness and grace. One author put it this way. She defined the results of shame as scars where we lost connection to ourselves. And I would add to God and our divine nature. The cost of losing connection with ourselves and our bodies not only disembodies us from our true and God-given self, but I believe it perpetuates lies that hiding from others is the only way to maintain safety. But as we see, God's response to Adam and Eve gives us some reflection on how we are to respond to our own stories of shame and how God responds to our stories of shame as well. But before we go back to the passage in Genesis 3, I just want to take a moment to have you center in your body if you can, if you're able, if you're driving, maybe this is a time to pause and come back when you have a minute. But if you could just take a moment and take a deep breath, and maybe some stories of shame or or of shattering in your life have come up, I just want you to take a moment to notice. Notice where in your body you feel maybe tension or ache. Taking some deep breaths and just noticing maybe the heart rate. Is it going up or is it slowing down? Maybe there's emotion that floods to the surface, and that's okay. We just name it. And what this does is it allows us to connect back to our stories and allows our bodies to remember maybe what hasn't been able to be shared. What this does is it brings us back to connecting with ourselves. And as we do this, we recognize where we are. And this is how God's movement towards Adam and Eve starts. Brene Brown also says this about shame and the work of acknowledging our shame. She says that empathy is the antidote. And I believe this is so true. And we see this in the heart of God. Think about it. God could have said anything. He didn't even have to say anything. But instead of just removing Adam and Eve from the garden, he moves towards them with a question. And this, I think, reveals his relational nature as he offers an invitation. It says in verse 9, God called to them and said, Where are you? And Adam answered and he says, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I find this interaction so beautiful. First, God moving towards Adam and Eve in their shame, knowing where they were, but yet still offering an invitation for connection. And then Adam finally in verse 10, being able to say how he felt. I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And then God says, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit to eat, and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. This narrative of God's relational character in the midst of the shattering of shalom is something that I think is so powerful when interacting with our own shame stories. This awareness of our shame can be brought into a safe place where we can be held in it with empathy and compassion. These questions have become my way to offer God and others a space for shame to be named, no longer hidden by the belief that God's nature cannot bear it, for God's movement is ever towards us, even in our shame. This truth allows us to re-experience awareness of an empathic witness, namely Jesus, who in unity with the Father embodied human likeness, took on the shame of our stories in solidarity and suffered as we have so that we could reclaim the sacredness of our bodies, even in the midst of shatteredness of this world, and one day return to perfect likeness when we are reunited with him in eternity. This is good news for our wounds and for our shame stories. So what are the stories of shame that have shaped you? Maybe you write these down. Maybe it's just a word or a feeling. But how do you see these stories imprinting their distortions on your body, on your mind, on your beliefs about yourself, God, and others? Are these experiences defining what is good for you? Are these experiences defining who God is to you and who you are to God? I encourage you to do this work with a trusted friend, a pastor, or a therapist. Our stories need to be held with those who can offer empathy and solidarity rather than just advice or spiritual sentiment. One way I've found to help me in my experiences of shame is to use the questions God asks in the garden. This is what we call the Genesis examine. It's three questions. Where are you? Who told you? And what have you done? These can be really helpful questions when we are just becoming aware of shame in our stories or our experiences. First, we kind of check in with our bodies and ask ourselves, where am I? We did this body exercise a few minutes ago and asking yourself, what came up for you then? Where are you? Are you feeling disconnected? Are you feeling heavy? Naming where we are and then responding to God's invitation to challenge the shame that has maybe tied us down or isolated us or made us want to run and name it. Who has told you that you are not a beloved child of God? Who has told you that your body or your mind or whatever it is that's being shamed is not redeemable, is not Seen with goodness and grace. And this last question, what have you done? Is to be able to recognize what we do in order to get our needs met. Right? Eve's intention was to be like God or be her own God. And we do this in our days too, don't we? So the other question we can ask in reflection to this is, what do you desire? What is it that you're desiring? And as we move towards connection with our bodies, oftentimes we recognize that what we desire deeply is wholeness, and we try to find it in so many different forms, and yet shame can be broken as we speak out what we truly desire, and oftentimes that leads us back to our divine nature. Remember, awareness is the first step to restoring safety to the body. And so next week, we will explore the power of the resurrection and how we are being made new and equipped to begin restoration work right now. Healing is possible, even on this side of heaven. And yet we get to look forward to the glory that is to come. So my prayer and hope this week is that we may hold space for our stories and reconnect with our bodies, asking the questions of awareness of where we're at who are we listening to, and what do we deeply desire? Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content, enjoy my monthly email list for the latest updates and info visit my website at carlymarkhoyer.com. I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.